0: Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message will be both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. If you missed this service, we hope to see you this Sunday at either 8.45 a.m. for our praise and worship service or 11 a.m. for our traditional service. Now, here's this week's message. Well, good morning. This week in... Our church-wide campaign called The Story, we've turned an important corner. If you haven't been following along or you haven't been with us, what we read this week was well, pretty much a summary of the first 12 chapters in the book of Acts. Which means we've left the Gospels, which are the biographies of Jesus, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Tell us all about his life and what he has done, his death, resurrection, and everything in between. And now we turn to Acts, which is a continuation. You see, Luke was a gospel writer. He wrote a biography of Jesus. But then he also continued to write out the life of the early church. The life of the disciples and what they did after Jesus had left. See, that's what the book of Acts is. It's all about the Acts of the Apostles. Jesus is gone. Here's what they did. And, I mean, it's amazing. The odds were stacked up against this little group of Jewish believers in the middle of nowhere, ruled by the strongest empire the world had ever seen, and we still talk about them, Rome. But they did something the world had never seen. They started a movement that has been going on for thousands of years, and we are still a part of it, and it's what we're a part of this morning. And at the very beginning of this movement, as you can imagine, it would have been the most fragile state. They're just getting started. Their leader had left. They killed their leader. Christianity wasn't legal. They didn't have buildings. They didn't have a lot of money. In fact, we have far more resources today than they ever had. And so how did they do it? How did a little group of believers thousands of years ago make such a difference in the world? I want to share that with you this morning, because I believe if we look at the functions of the early church, if we discovered what the early church was all about, I believe it will make a massive difference in our church and our community, and then of course around the world. This is one of those few messages a year that I'm specifically talking to Christians. More specifically, I'm talking to our body of believers here at First Baptist Church. Which means if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ and you're here for the first time, that's okay. You get to learn all about what the church is supposed to be doing. And every time you visit, you can have a checklist now, right? You have something to go by like, hey, are y'all doing what you're supposed to do? Because I learned what you're supposed to be doing. For the church, this is an important message because we're going to look at some verses, some things that we've been studying and we need to focus on as a church. You see, if you haven't been here for a while or maybe just haven't kept up, for the past seven months, our church has been going through a strategic planning process. And this is where we are discovering and rediscovering the purposes and functions of a local church. We brought in a consultant and we've been taking a hard look. It's been challenging and hard for some to really discover and really remember what the local church is supposed to be and therefore our church realign ourselves with that because when we do that we will then be on track with what God is doing in the world did you know that as a church we should be joining with God did you know that we shouldn't ask God to join with us. We should be joining with what he is doing in the world because he is alive. He is active, moving and redeeming this world at this very moment. And so what we had to think through were the functions and the forms. Just give you a little understanding where I'm coming from. According to Aubrey Maufer, a scholar, New Testament scholar, he says, functions, it's back here on the screen, functions of the church are timeless, unchanging and non say that with me, non-negotiable precepts that are based on Scripture and mandates for all churches. These are non-negotiables. Sometimes they get confused with what's called a form. And again, according to Malphurus, forms are the temporal, changing, negotiable practices that are based on culture and are methods that all churches are free to choose to accomplish their functions. You see functions are the things we have to do form is how we do it it's not going to be a surprise to anybody who's been in church for any period of time to learn that a function of the church is worship we understand that right a function is worship non-negotiable a form is then how we worship it's negotiable it changes how we worship here do you think it's the same in china it is not which is okay What we want to get back to and what we want to discover is what are the biblical mandates for a local church. And this has been fun and it's been challenging. In fact, according to our bylaws, which this is the very first time I've ever quoted bylaws in the church sermon before. According to our bylaws, uh, Article 5, Section 2, it describes the role of the pastor. The very first sentence says this, the pastor shall be responsible for leading the church as a New Testament church. It's my responsibility for us to become like and what we read about in the Scriptures. And I take that very serious. Do you want me to take that very serious? Then I will do that. And so what I'm responsible for and what we need to discover and what the strategic leadership team is working through is what does that mean then? Brian, how do we do this? Because we and me and what I hope and what I want to encourage you with this morning is that when we do these things, we will get on board with what God is doing in the world and see him move in a way you've never, ever seen before. Because our church is larger than the first church. But yet, we have not made an impact like they have. But I believe we can. And it's by looking at these things I heard one pastor compare it to a wave I've been at the beach all weekend anybody else Well, just one day anybody else go to the beach this weekend just three of us did you know you live at the beach it's okay to go I mean oh the tourists are here we'll wait till they leave I understand okay so I heard one one pastor compare this to a wave he says if you're surfing you don't create the wave you look out for the wave you paddle towards the wave and then you get on top of the wave you ride the wave you don't create it and it's the same thing with the church that we don't create the movement of God. We look for where it is, God is leading. We paddle towards where God is leading. And then we jump on board and be a part of what God is moving. Does that make sense? We want to ride with God because he's alive, he's active, and gave his followers a very clear, very important mission of this. It's Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It says then Jesus came to them and said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age the mission he gave his followers based on whose authority his authority he says I'm in charge of the entire cosmos good luck beating that all authority is mine he says So I have the right to give you the marching orders because I'm in charge of the entire cosmos. Go make disciples. A disciple is simply a follower of Jesus. It's not a word we use a lot in church. Some of us understand it. But it's someone who is reorienting their life around Jesus Christ. He is my master. I'm going to follow him. And so he says, here's what that looks like. He says, make disciples. You have to baptize them. Well, in order to baptize them, what do you have to do first? Reach them. You gotta reach people to baptize them, right? You gotta share the gospel, you gotta tell them about Jesus. So we share the gospel, we baptize them, then it's pretty simple. We teach them to follow Him. That's what a follower of Jesus is someone who's reorienting their life all around Jesus Christ. And it's through this verse we've come up with our mission to reach people with the good news of Jesus Christ and to teach them to follow Him. This is a mandate. This is what we do as Christians. And so for this group, he not only told them what to do, he told them what it was going to look like. Acts 1.8 says this. He says, but you will receive power. They wanted to know when he was coming back, really confused. But he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And this idea for this group of disciples would have seemed so unrealistic. I mean... Jerusalem and Judea, sure, they look like us, sound like us, talk like us. It's okay, we live there, but the Samaritans, we don't like them. The ends of the earth, there's not a plane. How am I going to get there? This would have been such a big dream that could have only been pulled off if who was involved. Yeah, God. God. And we have to understand that when God gives a group of believers a vision for something to accomplish, it will be impossible to pull off without him. So we want to hear, God, what do you want us to do? And the rest of the book of Acts explains how that happens. That's how it's divided. That's what they're showing us. God said this was going to happen. Here's where they went. Here's how it was accomplished. And so this group of Jesus followers after he left went to Jerusalem like he said, went and met in a room and waited for the Holy Spirit to come. They didn't know what that meant. They didn't know how it was going to happen, but they took his marching orders and went in the middle of the city. Went in the middle of the city at this time it was Pentecost. It was a holiday. They were in the upper room doing their thing when all of a sudden the Holy Spirit came rushing in. It was such a commotion that the city around them heard it, came, surrounded the building, figuring out what's going on up there. And I see the disciples peeking out the blinds of the windows, going, uh oh, what do we do now? Everybody's surrounding the building, and I think Peter, being Peter's like, I got this, watch this, I got it, sit back. He went out there, started preaching, open air preaching. Just, here's what you need to know. You want to know what's going on? Here it is. started. tell them about Jesus Christ. They said, well, what should we do? He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. What happens next is amazing. Open air preaching to the masses in the middle of the city. It said those who accepted his message were baptized in about how many? Talk about church growth. You have 120 people in an up room, then all of a sudden 3,000 people get added to the church. Talk about a logistical nightmare. How do you add 3,000 people to it? How do you build a building 3,000 people could fit in back then? What did they do? They got together. Hey, how are we going to organize it? We need programs, we need committees, we need. Nope. They started making. Disciples They started teaching them About Jesus And luckily for us Luke the writer of Acts shows us what they Focused on They showed us the people who were closest to Jesus We get to see what they thought Jesus meant by what he taught them How how they acted Does that make sense What did the early disciples think Jesus meant We get to see by their actions Because it shows us It says this And excuse me Excuse me, 3,000 people were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled at all with the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. Verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And it's from this one summary statement that I hope you're like, man, that is exciting. I would love to be a part of that because that's what every church should say, every Christian should say, we should look like that. That is what the early church in its purest form looks like. And this is where we can pull the functions. What did they do? It tells us. And we see throughout the rest of the New Testament how they did it. But let's just go over them so we're all on the same page. First, we see biblical teaching. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. While the person of Jesus Christ is whom we worship, while the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the event that launched our faith, biblical teaching has always been what Christians devote themselves to. Teaching and learning has always been a function of our faith. Which means we must devote ourselves unashamedly, unapologetically to the scriptures. We must place ourselves under the authority of scriptures, both individually and corporately. And I don't know about you, but if you've read the scriptures, you probably don't like everything it says. You probably have a hard time putting into practice the thing it says. You're not alone. But we give it the authority it deserves, and we continually strive and reorient ourselves around God's word. So we see they did biblical teaching. We're like, yeah, of course you teach the Bible at church. I'm glad we're on the same page. That should be a given, right? Teaching the Bible should be a given. Some of like, I'm still not sure. It's okay. Yeah, the answer is yes. Next one we see is fellowship. They were devoted to the fellowship of believers. And the biblical idea of fellowship isn't what we think of. You can't program fellowship Fellowship are, is a close, intimate relationship with people. It's like family, where they shared meals together. They ate in their homes. They prayed. Fellowship is what happens when people are truly living authentic lives together. When people are fellowshipping together, you don't have to wonder who's going to care for somebody. If your child gets sick, does anybody go, all right, all right, hold on. Who's going to care for him? We've got, we got to think about this we got to have a meeting, let's talk about it, let's work through it, let's give... You're like, no, my child's sick, I'm going to take care of my child. Churches who are good in fellowship naturally take care of each other. All of us. You can't hire someone to take care. We all take care of each other because we're close. The Christian life was never meant to be lived alone. It has always been meant to live in a community of other Jesus followers. And as a church, we have to strive to have deep, authentic relationships where we can be honest and open and vulnerable and share who we really are and be loved and accepted and know that we can be accepted where we are, but we can't stay there because we're all striving to follow after Jesus Christ. One of the avenues we believe this can happen is through Sunday school or small groups. That's why we want to encourage you to be a part of one. Because we believe you're going to get closer to a small group of people and grow and learn and love on each other. Sunday school, small groups, they're extensions of our body of Christ. There's just little micro things where you can grow in your faith and and know people a little bit closer. So we see they devoted themselves to the, the scriptures. We see fellowship, but we also see prayer. Prayer is a dependence upon God. Prayer is where we are guided, empowered, and encouraged to live the life that God desires. See, one of the things all churches are going to have trouble with is all of us have our personal opinions. We all have our personal emotions and feelings. But it's through prayer we get aligned with whom? Can you imagine if a group of believers humbly submitted themselves to Jesus Christ and went to him in prayer? They said, God, not my will, but your will. Help me reorient my feelings, my thoughts, my actions according to you and your word we would change the world so prayer we, we say God I need you God you show up and intervene as a church we must be prayerfully dependent upon God prayer is how we become unified in thought and action it is through prayer we can seek the guidance of God in every and all situations and we acknowledge humbly that God we are not leading but you are and God we submit to you Function of a church is a prayer. Is that a good thing, church? We want to be known as a praying church. And then we have service. It says they sold their possessions and gave to those in need. They took care of each other. But we also know that some were teachings because they devoted themselves to the teachings. Some welcomed people into their home. Do you think this was one person welcoming 3,120 people into their home? All right, so it had to be homes, which means there were multiple people using multiple gifts. They couldn't have pulled this off without every single person chipping in, being a part of what was going on. Peter, the gr- the leader of this early group, writes. He says, "Each of you should, First Peter four ten. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to what? Yeah, I don't have that bolded. It's supposed to be yellow. To serve others. Do you know why you've been gifted by God? to serve other people, every single one of us. And it's a beautiful thing as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms, which means as a church, we must appreciate and value the different gifts of other people, which means we must be intentional about helping people grow into their giftings, feel comfortable in who God's created them to be, and allow them to use their giftings. One of the most important things every church has to embrace is nobody can do it all. Do we understand that? Yes? We must learn to appreciate who God has created, the gifts he has given them, and then allow people to blossom into who he has asked them to be. We cannot expect more from people than God does. We want to embrace them and use them and collectively together accomplish his work. So we see service and then we see worship. They prayed together, they broke bread together, which is the idea of the Lord's Supper communion, we call it. They praised God together. This is what we do on Sunday mornings. We gather together to corporately, intentionally worship God, to sing praises, to sit under his word and learn. What's important to understand is the idea of corporate worship as a non-negotiable in Christian churches. It's what we do. We gather together to sit under, to corporately look around and go, wow, I'm not in this alone. I'm with other people. And we sing praises to him. And as a church, we must create environments where people can pursue intimacy with God and worship him and draw close to him. And I hope you were able to do that through praising and singing this morning. It was amazing, wasn't it? It got my heart really good for worship. The primary goal every Sunday morning is to worship God. It is about Him and for Him. And then lastly, the big one, one of the big ones, they're all big. We see evangelism. You see When it tells you they went to the temple courts, we'll see. And and, excuse me, you saw in Acts chapter three when they went there, they would heal people and then tell people about Jesus Christ. The early church unapologetically reached people for Jesus. This is a vital function where all of us corporately come together and know that we want to share the gospel. There's a danger for every church to focus on whom themselves and forget that they're here to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can get so in danger of focusing on ourselves that we forget there's a world dying without knowing Jesus Christ. Evangelism is something we must be serious about, sharing our faith. As a church, we must take this serious. As a staff, we take it serious. And we pray and hope that the rest of our leadership will take this serious as well. Our outreach team, just to let you know, they have been working behind the scenes very hard. They are currently planning out outreach events for this fall and for the entire 2020 calendar year. On August 18th, we're going to roll out a two-week campaign we want every single person to be a part of. It's a pay-it-for campaign where we're going to do small little acts. We'll share with you a little bit later. But small acts of service evangelism, something very simple. Well, for two weeks, we want to ask our church members to go into the community, do a simple thing to reach people or tell them about our church. And we want to start continually doing these type of events. we got all sorts of stuff we got planned, and we're excited to roll it out. But just to let you know evangelism and sharing our faith in these things are something we want all of us to be a part of. And so we see biblical teaching, fellowship, prayers, service, worship, evangelism, all of these are what each and every single church is supposed to be doing. But how we do those is where churches differ. Those are the non-negotiables. This is how the New Testament lays it out for us. And you see, it's these things that separate us from a different, like Lions Club or Country Club or any other organization. We're much different. And when we do this, check out what happens Favorite verse out of everything we're looking at today. Look at this. And the Lord added to their number daily. You mean every day? That means they were meeting every day. Who's having church every day with me? Daily, those who were being saved. The Lord added. The Lord brought the people to them. According to this, God adds to the church. When we are functioning as a New Testament church, when we're worshiping, serving, sharing our faith, developing people, allowing them to serve, praying and building these close relationships, God will then bring people to the gathering that we call First Baptist Church so they can know him and experience his church. But what this means can can be completely gut-wrenching. when We understand the implications of this verse. Because if God does add to the church, that implies He isn't adding to the churches when they're not functioning according to how He wants them to function. The most gut wrenching thing to do as a body of believers and realize that if God isn't adding to our church, if our church isn't growing, that's because we're not doing what God wants us to do. And it's hard. Why would God send people to an unhealthy church? But if we do these things, which is what our strategic plan is based on, focused on, working towards, we will not only see the spiritual growth of every single person here, we will see the growth of our church. And we want to be a church, a body of believers who are riding the movement of God. Don't you want to be a part of a church that's alive and active, moving in this community like no one's ever seen or heard of? That's an amen for you right there, right? But here's the thing, and here's the truth. Does that mean it was easy? The church faced a ton of different problems, and they were just getting started. If you've read the book of Acts, you read about them. I just want to highlight a few, but it's there. They faced persecution from outsiders. Remember when Peter and John were preaching in the temple courts? After a man got healed, they were arrested, told not to do it anymore. After they, they left that in fear for their life, and it says in Acts 4, 32, after that happened, it says all the believers were of one heart and one mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they started sharing everything they had. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerful at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. And from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had a need. When things got hard from the outside, what did they do on the inside? Banded together closer than ever. When things get hard, you come and band together and then release even more. It got even worse. They had divisive church members. Ananias and Sapphira, they had their own agenda. They publicly lied. They wanted some self promotion to be looked at as they were doing something they weren't. Just to let you know, it didn't work out so well for them. And it caused quite a commotion of what happened. But the apostles continued their ministry, and you can see how Luke has this. After that happened, a great fear came over everybody. But it said, nevertheless, more and more women, men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Just because they had a problem inside didn't mean they stopped doing their mission. We still focus on what Jesus Christ has asked us to do. Then you see persecution increasing from outsiders. Some of them were arrested again. They were beaten but they left rejoicing for being beaten in the name of Christ. And then Acts 5.42 says, Day after day in the temple courts from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. And then Acts 6, we see even more church problems internally. What I want you to see is we're going to have problems out there. We're going to have problems in here. Acts 6, we see internal growth problems. People felt overlooked. They felt that they weren't getting their needs met. This is when we see the first deacons be brought in. Remember, deacons are supposed to serve the church. This is when a problem happened. The apostles who were preaching a teaching said it would not be good for us to neglect the ministry of the word. Meaning we can't do it all on our own. So they elected, the church elected deacons. The apostles appointed them to serve the ministry and the needs of the church. And look what happens when when you collectively distribute these works. Acts 6-7 So the word of God spread The number of disciples in Jerusalem Increased rapidly And a large number of priests Became obedient to the faith And when I read that verse I say I pray that when people are writing About First Baptist Church Conway In 2019 and 20 and beyond My prayer is that they write So the word of God spread The number of disciples in Conway Increased rapidly Wouldn't that be fun? If that's how they wrote about us And we could continue looking at other stories because things got really hard. In fact, most of them were killed for their faith. But they continued to focus on their mission. Just because we have problems from outside and inside doesn't mean the problem becomes our mission. Our mission was given by the one who has all authority and that is to make disciples of all nations. And they came together unified as a church it wasn't easy for them. It won't be easy for us. But we have been called to that mission. And we can see what it looks like. We devote ourselves to the scriptures, to the fellowship, to the prayers, serve one another, share our faith. Watch what God will do through that. We will experience growth like we've never seen before or heard of in this church. Why? First, we will be aligned with what God is doing in the world. Is that a good goal, church? Number two, this community is larger than it's ever been. In the past 30 years, it has doubled. Did we know that? Some of you are like, absolutely. My neighbor, I didn't have neighbors before. I could drive to the beach before, now I can. not We shouldn't have the glory days 30 years ago. Our church shouldn't have been the largest when our community was the smallest. We have an amazing opportunity, church, to get on board with what God is doing in this world. To reach this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we must allow him to work first individually and then corporate.